I'm going to make a very important confession before we go any further. Oh, my um, God. Is it going to get awkward? No, it's, well, it's, uh, look, um, I've had several uh, girlfriends that were Yugoslavian. Okay, we don't need the details. No, I'm not going to give you the details. Okay. Um, I, I won't go that far. But I can remember one of them telling me that she was in Belgrade. She went back to visit the family. Yep. And she said um, Tito had died. He was the president of Tito. Yugoslavia. Tito. Tito. Yeah, Tito, the Yugoslavian president, not the Eastern European cover band. I was like, yeah. yes, don't get confused yes, with the two. No. I curse the rains in Albania. <laughs> right. It's a tune. It's a tune. It's terrible. Now, um, she said the thing that was most frightening was she woke up to the smell of petrol in the apartment. And she was like, well, what's going on? Mm. Um, everyone's like in the lounge room yep. cleaning Kalashnikov AK-47s and making Molotov cocktails. Okay. Right. And she was like, what's going on? Mm. And they just went, Tito's dead. We're going to take over. Right. So there was this huge thing and suddenly it was like, we're going to go and kill all the Serbs. Or if they were Serbs, they were going to go and kill all the Croats. I can't remember which. I know. It's hard to it's hard to know the Serbs, Croats. I liked it better when it was Yugoslavia. But here's the thing about Yugoslavia. Today we're going to talk about Yugoslavian terrorism in Australia because Yugoslavian terrorism in Australia completely changed Asia. Great, let's unpack it. You're listening to I Spied, the mad bomber of Australian intelligence. I really hope this one doesn't go off in my hands. You want to keep the legs? Yeah. Welcome to I Spied. My name's Michelle Stevenson. I'm here with David Callan. Now, this I is... I like the way you just went, David uh, Callan. You know what? I, because it's not that I always forget your name. It's always that I've I can't believe make... that I'm in this box with you, David. <laughs> it's pretty much that. Yeah. Anyway, part two. Part two of terrorism There was so much to unpack that we had to, like, literally break it off into segments. Bite-sized chunks. Well, bite, not bite-sized well, not chunks. Bite-sized. No, no, not bite-sized. These are, this, this is a mouthful. A, this is a three-course meal. This is a three-course meal. Like, there was a three-course meal. Like, last week was a three-course meal because we had the Battle of Broken Hill yep. and we had the Queensland Republican Army. And, you know, we had to look at a lot of stuff. But this one's, this little sort of spate of terrorism mm. in Australia is a really fascinating one. And yes. it all comes from Yugoslavia. Which, you know, it's a very confusing region for a lot of people. Well, there was a, a an essayist in America, a guy by the name of PJ O'Rourke, who basically described Yugoslavia, the entire Balkan region, is basically every marauding horde that ever came into Europe, you know, be it the Huns or the Visigoths or the Mongols, every time they got to the Balkans, they sort of stopped yep. and went turned around to the most zealously crazy members of their horde and went, you guys should just camp over there tonight. <laughs> and when they'd all gone to sleep, the rest of the horde got up and left them there right? because they were just so crazy. The thing about the Balkans is it's a bunch of little countries. Yeah. So you've got Croatia, Serbia, uh, Bosnia-Herzegovina, Kosovo, Slovenia, Monten- uh, Montenegro, uh, Macedonia. Like, there's all these countries. Yeah, absolutely. And the thing is with Yugoslavians, mm-hmm. I would, I'll call them Yugoslavians. Let's call them Yugoslavians. Yes. They hold a grudge. Oh, yeah. And they hold a grudge to the point like it doesn't matter where they're living mm-hmm. because my ex-husband was actually, his dad was Yugoslavian and his mum was Czechoslovakian. Ooh. So- when we got married, yeah. 
we had to be very strategic. Wear bulletproof vests. Well, about where people were sitting. Yes. Because the Yugoslavians were now no longer Yugoslavians. No. They were the Serbs and the Croats. Whichever one they were, yeah. Yes, and we had to be strategic about what side of the room they sat on or we couldn't put them together, basically. Now, this goes back in history. This yes. is a long – because that entire region was part of the Austro-Hungarian Empire and mm-hmm. once the Habsburgs court fell apart because of World War One, basically King Alexander I went, let's grab all these little disparate pieces and put them all together in one big chunk. Yeah. And he created Yugoslavia. Now, the Croats weren't really happy about this, and the Serbs kind of were. Like, the Serbs had a bit more power, I think, so the Croats weren't really happy, wanted a bit of independence. So back in the 30s, this is the thing, back in the 30s, the Ustasha was created. Right. Now, Ustasha, which is Croatian for insurgent, was a fairly right-wing organisation. that yep. just They wanted independence for, for Croatia. So what happened was they assassinated this guy, in the 30s, and then they got heavily suppressed because they assassinated Alexander I. They got very hard. There was a hard suppression until this little thing called World War II. And then Croatia, or at least the Astashi in Croatia, sided with these guys, probably not the nicest people to side with, called the Nazis, right? And Definitely not the nicest. Yeah. Now, the thing was they got involved in the genocide programs that the Ustasha did, got involved with the Nazis with genocide, eliminating Serbs and also because the Serbs were fighting against them. They were with the Allied forces. Because they're like, oh, what is this elimination of all of your enemies program? We'll like that. We'd like you to get rid of all the (laughs) Romanis and all the Jews and any Muslims you find. And they went... Serbs, are they okay? And the thing was the Astashi camps were pretty brutal. Yes. Like where the Germans turned it into an industrial thing, well, it was more like a sort of sheltered workshop where, you know, you, they were beating people to death with hammers, um, bludgeons. Maybe if you were lucky, you got a bullet. Right. Right. So there was this incredibly strong, powerful, very right-wing group. And then, of course, they lost. And Tito, who was the partisan leader and communist leader as well, went, right, I'm going to get all you guys. I'm going to pull you all together. You're all now Yugoslavia again. And the other thing he did with Yugoslavia was he went, you're all basically autonomous regions. You run your own governments. But here's the thing. If any of you step out of line, there was one thing, the great thing that Mm. someone said in ASIO was the only thing worse in Yugoslavia than a Croat and a Serb fighting each other was either of them being caught by Tito. Because the one thing about Tito was he wouldn't just knock you off for doing it. He'd knock you off and your family and everybody else. Okay. It it was a it was a thorough cleansing. Well it wasn't so much a cleansing. It was like you don't mess with Tito. And Tito was loved. He's virtually a saint in in the entire area now. They love him. Because he created peace in his own way. Exactly. Sixty five percent of people in the Yugoslavian area, in that Mm. the Balkans area regard their lives as better off under Tito than they are now. Well, because now it's all war-torn and, you know, there's a lot of... Well, it's kind of of getting un-war-torn, thankfully. But the the whole thing was as soon as Tito was gone, there Mm. were a lot of, lot of tensions that just overboiled and we had things like Bosnia-Herzegovina and Sarajevo. One year there's the Winter Olympics, the next year you can't go shopping because of snipers. Yeah, right. crazy stuff. It went And there was, you know, programs. And also don't forget that it's that... Really weird little corner of Europe where you've got Italy and you've got Greece and you've got Turkey and you've got the Eastern Bloc states. It was a really crazy area, Mm. right? So, but let's go now to the 60s. So, Tito is fully in charge, but he's in his 70s. Now, the Ustasha had set themselves up in Australia and they had a, it was a good place for, for them to be. First and foremost, they were they were after independence. Ustasha were fighting for independence for Croatia from this terrible communist regime called Yugoslavia. Mm. So they garnered a lot of sympathy that way. 
they were very right-wing and very, very anti-communist. During the Menzies era... That's cool, man, because we're pretty anti-communist and very Cold Warish anyway. Most of, most of the Western countries Most of the were. Western countries are like, oh, you, you don't like communists? Oh, Great. Oh, come on in. Keep on going. <laughs> they only ever really targeted Yugoslavian assets in the country or the Yugoslavian community. Right. Right. So it wasn't like they were going out and killing Australians. They were killing a migrant community or they were attacking a, an adversarial foreign power's assets. Most importantly, and here's the really interesting point. No one was in charge of counterterrorism at the time. Right. ASIO didn't do counterterrorism in the 60s. They did espionage. It was Cold War stuff. It was also, right. if somebody was blowing something up, ASIO would sort of like go, well, that's really the Commonwealth Police, now the Australian Federal Police. They'd go, well, that's the Commonwealth Police problem. While the police would go, well, no, actually, it's kind of not our problem because it's terrorism. It's not crime. Yeah. Though they did regard it as crime. It was like, so there was this disparate craziness that we couldn't figure out. Nobody knew, really knew who was running the show. And- Nobody really wanted to run the show because they were blowing up Yugoslavian assets. It's yeah. fine. So for 10 years, from 1963 to 1973, mm. there are 15 documented terrorist attacks. Wow. Oh, no, 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 no. It gets better. It could be as high as 175. In Australia? In Australia. Insane. Why do we not know about this? Why not? Because it was one of those things that really changed the organisation. It changed ASIO, but it also was one of those things we didn't talk about it because it didn't really exist on the radar, right? So the Astasia, it wasn't just the Astasia. There were other groups. There was the HOP, which is the Croatian Liberation Movement. We had the HNO, the Croatian National Nationalist Resistance, and, of course, the HRB, which is the Croatian Revolutionary Brotherhood. God, they're busy. Yeah, they were. Yeah. Now, it's always H because Hrvatsi. I think it's Hrvatsi or Hrvatska, right. uh, which is the Croatian word for Croatia. Now, operating in Australia for them was brilliant. Yeah. It was a great place for them to operate because, one, they were well protected from Yugoslav intelligence services because the Yugoslav intelligence services were being watched by ASIO in a Cold War frame, so it was very difficult for them to operate against people that were attacking other people. The other thing, they could launch attacks into Yugoslavia. Now, this is a really... Okay, how did they do that? Oh, right. So I can't give you the date because... Dates. There's so many dates in. This I want to know dates, David. Uh, I want to know dates. No, it's okay. It's fine. Right, thank you. <laughs> right. So essentially, 19 Ustasha guys from mm. Australia decided that they were going to go to Croatia, and they were going to kill Tito. They were going to literally start the revolution in Croatia. They got caught. Okay. Well, I would imagine. Fifteen of them were shot. Four of them were captured. Yeah. And that's when the Yugoslavian government turned around to the Australian government and went, uh, "Guys." We have a problem. Yeah. Right? You are now there. These are Australian citizens that are coming over here and are trying to create a revolution in our country. Can you do something about it? Mm. To which our very Cold War government went, mm, yeah, yeah, we'll look into that. Not that they really did. Mm. But it all started in 1963, right? When a bunch of Ustasha members attacked a Yugoslav cane cutting quarters in Queensland. Okay. They went in there, they started smashing everything. No one got hurt. But if anyone had any Croatian stuff or Yugoslavian stuff up on the walls, they destroyed it. Okay. That was the first. It was by no means the last, as I said. There were a lot of different ones. Now, so, you know, I, you, so basically you had these reprisal attacks now. Yeah, it became tit for tat. Like yes. Petersham before, if you ever go to Petersham in Sydney, fantastic Portuguese food. 
But before that, it was a very Serbian-Croatian sort of area. And there was a lot of tension in that right. area, a lot of street violence. But it really started off in big time in 64 when Tomislav Lesik, we mentioned him last week. Yep. I, I had to get the name. Tomislav Lesik was walking up to the Yugoslav consulate in Sydney with a suitcase bomb. Wow. And he dropped it. Yep. And it blew his legs out from underneath him yep. and it blinded him. Now, he his excuse was, I didn't know what it was. Uh, it was given to me by a Yugoslav intelligence <laughs> officer, to which makes me go, now, mm. why would a Yugoslav intelligence officer want to blow up his own consulate? Yeah. Now, here's the interesting thing. There was, and I can't give you the direct quote again. Again, this is so dense. There's so much information yep. here. What happened was the Attorney General at the time turned around and went, well, if they're blowing up communists, what's the problem? I mean, s- standard. Yeah, right. So for that time, we had a government. We had we kind of had a government that was like going, "Look, we really don't want to talk about this because a, it's a problem we can't really solve." And this is another thing that was really important. No one could speak. No, there was no one in government that really knew how to speak Croatian. There was a massive language barrier problem going on, right? They didn't have translators. They couldn't think to get any. Yeah, well, I mean, there is that thing, but it's like. Again, it's not our problem. They would have had translators working on intercept stuff. So if they were yep. intercepting traffic coming out of the Yugoslav embassy or the Yugoslav consulate, yeah, you would imagine that they have a translator there. So for me, when they say, well, we, we really found it difficult to follow the language, well, come on, guys, surely you had translators on the books. Yep. So it was that, again, it's this really amorphous thing because they would go, yeah, we've got translators, but they're focusing on our job, which is espionage. This terrorism thing's your problem. Right. Yep. Now, the stuff got worse. There were bombings. There was one bomb that was thrown. Now, one of the things is, again, they were able to get away with a lot of this because they weren't attacking Australians. But were people dying? Yes. Okay. Not as many as you'd think. A lot of people getting injured. But what they were doing, they were throwing things like one guy threw a smoke bomb into a dance. Okay. So it was like a Serbian dance, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, a Serbian community group. They're having a dance at the town hall or the, the local hall. He throws a smoke bomb in there. His excuse was, I only did it to disrupt it and, and to upset them. Well, actually, it was mixed with chlorine. So in a way, it was kind of deadly. Right. Didn't kill anyone, but it sure as hell made a lot of people cry and there was a lot of coughing going on. Yeah. So there, was lung, there were certain injuries that were made. So this is all going on. Meanwhile, the Labor Party is standing up in Parliament going, uh, guys, we've got a problem over here with this this whole Ustasha thing, to which the government immediately went, don't politicise it, guys. <laughs> Even though it's all political. Yeah, I mean, that is exactly how they said it. They went, don't political politicise it, guys. <laughs> in in that That in very that. tone. Okay, great. Truly, I've got the recording. Here okay. it is. I'll play it. Don't politicise it, guys. See? Okay, right. totally. Yeah. I'm there. Yeah. See, I'm I recorded there. it. I was very young at the time. Yeah. So the Labor Party were getting antsy about this. Well, I mean, who wouldn't? There's exactly. like Basically, there is a war going on in the streets of Sydney. Exactly. Well, not just the streets of Sydney. Everywhere. It was the streets of Queensland. There was a lot of stuff going on in Queensland. One guy was getting death threats. A, a teacher in Queensland was mm. getting death threats, both over the phone and in the mail. Remember, uh, we're talking about a time there was no email. No. Um, he was getting hit by carrier pigeon and telegram. It took a while. Yes. Uh, a man he, would walk up. He died of old age by the time he got the death threat. Got it as a gorilla grab. <laughs> <laughs> right? Um, another guy had a book bomb sent to him. Mm. He was an anti-Ostasha extremist. Well, extremist. They say extremist, activist. He had a book bomb sent to him, but it didn't reach him before it detonated. 
it went off in the post office. Oh, no. In fact, it was going down the sorting chute and went boom. No one killed. Of course, we had to evacuate the But a lot of letters didn't make it. A lot of people didn't get their five bucks from Nana for their birthday. (laughs) A lot of birthday cards ruined that day. Yeah, I feel like that's the worst. The thing that was interesting about it was they also had training camps. Mm. One training camp that got, like, literally the police stumbled across. These guys running around with guns in the bush outside Wodonga. And the police, they went, when the police went, what are you doing? They went, "Uh, it's a picnic. (laughs) (laughs) And funnily enough, the police went, Carry on. Carry on. Just right. don't shoot each other. Just They're not real guns. No, just playing. Okay. Just for the kids. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Oops, sorry. <laughs> My foot. So there was that. There was uh, training camps uh, outside Yapoon mm. in Queensland. There was training camps in the Blue Mountains here but in But I feel like Wales. we're also seeing that now. Hey, like but- a lot of those training camps are kind of existing there's a lot of not arable land in Australia. Tons of it. And so we're just training right-wing extremists. Well, we're not just training right-wing extremists. There was there was the great case of there was a camp somewhere between here and between Sydney and Canberra. There was supposedly an Islamist camp as well. Yes. Where they were training each other, you know, training themselves how to build bombs, blow up cars. Fire weapons. So weed and extremist training camps. That's Dude. what we've got in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> on speed kitchens. <laughs> I mean, meth labs. A lot of meth labs. We're, we're doing really well. That's so. how you pay for your terrorist training yep. is with a meth lab. Yeah. Right? So there was all this sort of stuff. It all comes to a head in 1973 when there was a campaign of bombing. It was actually a con- like a, a synchronised campaign. A campaign of bombing. Yeah. where Get your bombs out. The Yugoslavia... <laughs> <laughs> leave, leave your onion out. <laughs> um, a Yugoslav travel agency yep. and the Yugoslav tourism office were both bombed at the, pretty much the same time, within minutes of each other. I don't think it would have mattered because no one was really going to Yugoslavia no, no, at that no, no, time. No. Have you ever been to the, co- uh, the coastal Croatia and, on and the Adriatic? Beautiful. Well, yes, it is now. Yeah, Dubrovnik, wonderful yes, place. Yes, now. Dalmatia, <laughs> once you get off the coast, really not that good. But, uh, I mean, it's a beautiful area. And mm. But back then that was how they were trying to build their yep. economy, yep. which Tito did. Tito took it from being this sort of semi-feudal, pastoral kind of medieval. Everyone hating each other. Yeah, to a fairly urbanised and industrialised nation. But then, of course, they all, when he died, they went, he's dead? Yeah, right, let's go. Okay. Right back into it. <laughs> now it seems to have settled itself yep. down. And, you know, I have my fingers crossed that, you know, the Balkans will kind of keep itself together and not to – Honestly, they shoot Game of Thrones there. Yeah. Every time I hear Balkans, I think of Star Trek. So <laughs> I just, I can't. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, I'm all, I'm like, it's true really though. Like, yeah. I just, I think, I think of Trekkies. But anyway. Same kind of temper. Yes. It all comes to a head in 1973 where these mm. two guys, oh, they're not two guys, these guys blow up two places. Right. 16 injuries. Wow. As some of them were Australians, oh. not just Yugoslav. They were just innocent bystanders. And then the government goes, hang on, now, hang on. another thing had happened in 1973. Well, actually it happened in 1972. We had a new government. Right. Yay! Right, so the yeah. conservative government's gone and goffs in. But this is what I don't understand. There's right. so much bombing going on. <laughs> Why does the government not go, hang on, <laughs> we should put an end Oh, no, 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 ASIO did something about it. Right. Brigadier Spry, who was the Director General at the time yeah. uh, and had been the Director General for a very long time and he was a massive Cold War warrior, he put four men onto it. Four men? Four people. Okay. Right. Now, when I was working there, the Yugoslav section was probably not as big. 
Um, mainly because Yugoslavia was falling apart. Yes. Well, not as big as you would expect. But also, this was the end of Ustasha terrorism pretty much in Australia. There were a few more incidents after this. But what happened was it became very famous and it kind of changed ASIO in a lot of ways. There was this guy called Lionel Murphy. Lionel Murphy, who wound up being a High Court Justice, quite a controversial figure, Lionel Murphy raided ASIO. Wow. He was the Attorney General at the time and he just turned around to ASIO in Canberra. where It wasn't in Canberra at the time. ASIO's head office was in Melbourne. Melbourne. Yep, where all the good coffee was, apparently. It had a new Director General at the time, a guy by the name of Peter Barber. And what happened was he basically walked up to the ASIO regional office Mm -hmm. and went, I want to see everything you've got on Yugoslavia. To which the regional office went, you're not allowed in here. Now, at the time, as the Attorney General, he was the head, he was literally the ministerial head of ASIO. That's who ASIO reported to. Now right. they report to Peter Dutton. Well, no. Oh my God, we report to Stuart Roberts. Life is over, right? It, it's now home affairs. <laughs> yes. But then it was Attorney General's. He went, I'm the Attorney General, I'm coming in. And he walked in and demanded to see all the files, which they basically showed him. Yeah. And then what happened was he flew down to Melbourne, but he got caught up at the airport. Here's the thing. Back in the day, it was, wasn't as easy to fly around as it is now. Well, it used to be until we got COVID. So anyway, he gets held up at the airport. Yep. While that's going on, Peter Barber is rung and it's like the Attorney General's coming down. He wants to see everything on Yugoslavia. So the Attorney General and his, his people walked into the office on St Kilda Road and basically kicked everyone out of the building. Mm-hmm. Everyone had to go and wait outside. Not a good look, no. right? There's all the ASIO people standing on the street going, well, at least the coffee's good. Let's have a ciggy, <laughs> right? While he went through all these files. Okay. And then- Were they he, redacted or they were just- Well, you're not really going to have time to redact that right. many files. Quick, get the pens out. He photostatted quite a few. Really? Yeah, photocopied quite a few because he can't take them. He probably right. wanted to and they went, look, we'll do a photocopy for you, mate. But really, it's kind of important that we keep it. Classified. He took a lot of stuff out. Yeah. This is when- the government went, we need to actually look at ASIO seriously. Mm. And that's when a series of Royal Commissions started. And that is why you did not have an ASIO Act until 1979. Up until then, ASIO ran on a kind of charter. Okay. Right? It was kind of independent. Like Like scouts? (laughs) (laughs) Dib, dib, dob? Yes. Be prepared to look into somebody's business. Right. (laughs) Totally. So this was a massive change. Now- Mm. It did not do a good thing for mm. the government of the time. ASIO suddenly went, turned around and went to the, the Labor government, the Whitlam government went, you did what went, yeah. right? Um, they, it's been rumoured that Lionel Murphy had a case opened against him because some guys at ASIO thought he was a KGB agent because he also married a Polish woman. Oh, my God, definitely KGB. Yes, he's, he's Labor Party and he married a Polish woman. Maybe he just liked pierogies. KGB. Mm. I don't, yeah, who knows? And who knows? <laughs> Yeah. Um, and then finally what happened was the CAA turned around to ASIO and, in fact, a lot of our mm. overseas partners or our allied services turned around and said, we can't talk to you ever again because, geez, any old idiot can walk in. Apparently. And look at your files. And, and photocopy them. But the one thing that did happen was ASIO wound up with this charter to start looking at terrorism and that's when Yugoslavian terrorism really got its horns pulled in. Right. right. So the two bombs that happened, the yep. two big ones. Yep. A whole bunch of Australians got injured. 16. 16. 16. But, well, 16 injured, including Australian passers-by. Okay. So it may not have been that many, but essentially it was like when two bombs go off in synch- like synchronously, you can't ignore it. No. This is now a- an organisation that's really, really skilled. I mean, 
they were skilled, but God, they dropped a lot of bombs. A lot of bombs went off when they shouldn't have, right? Yeah. And there was a lot of stabbings. There was a lot of beatings. There was yeah. a lot of threatening email, or threatening mail. A lot mail. of thuggery. A lot of thuggery. That's yeah. an excellent way of putting it. And the problem was, in the end, it did very little for them because ultimately what happened was it took Tito dying for Croatia, Serbia, for all of them to get their independence. Yeah. But that was, to me, like, it's a fascinating piece of history and it's and it's sad that we don't know much about it because it really shaped what we have with ASIO now. Yes, and I completely agree. It's one of those things like until you start talking about it, I had no idea that all of this was going on and unfolding on yeah. the streets of Australia. Well, I sort of, when I when I, we said let's do a thing on terrorism in Australia and I went, oh, yeah, and there, there's Yugoslav and terrorism, then I looked at it and went, oh, crap, uh, this is going to take forever. But it's what's interesting is like if any of that was ever to play out now, it would just be... You could, you, could, you could just imagine the mayhem and yeah. the conversations, the level of conversations that would be happening if all these bombs were going off and people were sending them and yeah. like... And the other thing was as well is because it was all... They were constantly attacking their own community. Yes. That's why, again, it didn't register on the radar. It was just like, oh, it's a... You know, Excuse I mean, the language, but it was it's a bunch of wogs having a fight. Who cares? And that was, you know, there was the classic thing of if ever a Serbian team and a, a soccer team and a Croatian soccer team played a match, it would, you know, they had to stop the right because mm. a soccer match broke out is yeah. the classic line. And look, and from my perspective, from a media perspective, we don't really talk a lot about, you know, the shootings and the stabbings that happen around bikies because no. we're like they're killing themselves. They're killing each other, so yeah. who cares? So it's, who cares? It's a self yeah, it's a you know it's self-fulfilling it's, prophecy. Yeah, it, it's yeah. sorting itself out. Yeah. It's Darwinism. But yeah, it was a, a watershed moment in Australia because it changed the way we run intelligence now. Yes. The sad thing was it took ten years for it to make an impact. And, and it's so interesting. And I think we – do we have, like, more to talk about when it comes to terrorism? Oh, snap. Yeah, we do. Okay. So I think we need to make it a three-part. Oh, it's going to be more than so three. So dessert. Is yeah. Oh, we, 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 last week was the amuse-bouche. This oh. is the entree. Don't forget, we've still got the Hilton bombing to look Gosh, at. Gosh, we've got, like, six courses. Oh, God. this is It's a digger station menu. It's definitely it's a digger station. It's a digger station of terrorism today. <laughs> 